Hey everyone, Dave Therian here. So happy to be with you today. We are doing one of the greatest things we can do with our time. Studying God's Word. Up. Ah, you know why? It's eternal. It goes into the soul. It regulates our lives. It has a dynamic personal effect on each and every one of us. You know, I've been thinking. It's amazing how people can hear truth and still either react or revolt against it. Did you ever notice that? I mean, truth is truth, right? Truth doesn't change, it's an absolute. And yet people, it's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. Well, gravity's truth. And you know, you're a fool not to believe in gravity. Maybe they don't recognize truth is truth. Jump out of a tree, you'll recognize it. <laughs> Some people want truth to be their own truth. Not the truth, their truth. And that's why they never find that place where they can have security in God. We're walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, highlighting the things that he said. And, you know, if you read the Gospels, Jesus talked about many, many things. He talked about things that we might even consider not that important or not worthy of discussion. But he had a way, no matter what the topic was, he had a way of making even the simplest things not only informative, but they were divine. The things that Jesus talked about were divine. I mean, some of the topics, right? He talked about leaven. What is leaven? Yeast. <laughs> he talked about garden seeds. I mean, he gave a sermon about garden seeds. Really? He talked about an oyster. You know that? When he talked about the pearl of great price. He told a story about a woman sweeping her house. Think about it. And from that story came a divine truth, the story of the lost coin. Oh, and so many other things he talked about, very uneventful and yet dynamic and eternal. So as we walk with Jesus through Mark, like I said, studying the words that Jesus spoke, we arrive at chapter 12. And here he tells a parable, oh, about himself. How about that? He's going to tell a story about himself. A parable is a story with a hidden meaning. Para means alongside. Bole means to throw. So it's a story with another meaning thrown alongside. Okay? Now, this story is about a vineyard. But the hidden meaning refers to how Jesus will be treated by those in charge of the vineyard. Hmm. All right. So we pick it up in Mark chapter 12, verse 1. A man planted a vineyard and put, put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower. And he rented it out to vine growers, and then he went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. 
But they took him, and they beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. You see, these guys, they were in charge of the vineyard, and they could keep what they grew, but they had to give a percentage back to the owner. Verse 4. Again he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head, and treated him shamefully. Hmm. He sent another, and that one they killed. And also with many others, beating some and killing others. Well, in verse 6, he had one more to send, his beloved son. So he sent him last of all to them, saying, Oh, they'll respect my son. Oh, but the vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. So the son arrived, and they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, Jesus asked the question, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone? Okay, that's the story. Let's explain it. Who's the man that had the vineyard? He planted the vineyard. That man is God. God planted the vineyard. Well, what's the vineyard? Israel. Israel is the vineyard. Then he put, he built a wall around the vineyard. And that speaks of God's divine protection of the vineyard. And they dug a vat. That's a wine press where they crush the grapes and make the wine. That speaks of the law and the ordinances of Israel. And they built a tower. And the tower references the temple, the presence of God. And who are the vine growers? The vine growers were the overseers of Israel. They were the priests and the scribes, the Sadducees. And who are the slaves that the, that the owner of the vineyard kept sending out to them? They were the prophets, the prophets that gave the word of God. So, God the Father created Israel. He put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to the religious leaders, and then he went on a journey. You know, Isaiah chapter 5 Verse 1, he said, Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. God loved his vineyard. He loved the people that he assembled together and called them Israel. So when Jesus said that he went on a journey It's a picture of how much God trusted the leaders to tend his vineyard. Like, I'm not going to look over your shoulders. I'm going to commit Israel to you leaders, you scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. And I'm going to trust you to lead the people to me and show them the Messiah when he comes. So God kind of took a back seat. But at the harvest time, like we read in verse 2, he sent a slave. That's a prophet to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. But they took him and they beat him and sent him away 
empty-handed. And you know, Jesus said, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. He said that in Matthew chapter 23. But I want you to see the heart of God toward the Israelites and toward the religious leaders that he put in charge of his vineyard, Israel. Remember this parable Jesus is telling? It's about himself. So let's go back. Verse 4. Again, he sent them another prophet, and they wounded him in the head, treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others. And he had one more to send, a beloved son. And I wonder if Jesus intentionally said, beloved son. See, he could have said, and he sent his son. No, he said his beloved son. And why do you think he said that? Well, remember at the Jordan River? Jesus came out of the water after being baptized by John, and a voice came out of the heavens, and it said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus wants people to know where he stands with God. He's the Son of God. God the Father. Yes, he is co-equal and co-eternal with God. He's He's deity. He's divine. But the relationship they have is one of intimacy. Jesus being the Son because he was born into the human race. And God the Father sees him as his Son, sent on a mission to do his bidding. So he had one more Son to send, a beloved Son. See how important it is to listen? You can skip over certain words when you read the Scriptures and miss the depth of what is being said. He sent this one last of all. And he said, hey, they'll respect my son. He's my son. They're going to respect him. Oh, yeah, these other guys, maybe not. But my son, you know why? Because he's the heir. But in verse 7, wait. The vine growers, oh, they started talking. And they said to one another, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, and they killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, in Hebrews thirteen twelve, the Bible says, Therefore, Jesus also, that he may sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What does that mean? He suffered outside the gate. Well, when they crucified him, they led him outside of the city. He wasn't crucified in the city of Jerusalem. They brought him outside up the hill called Calvary. And there were crosses waiting for him. And they nailed him to the cross. So Jesus is predicting his own death here. That they would kill him and drag him out. And Hebrews 13 compliments it where he was killed outside of the gate of the city. So Jesus asked the question, what will God the Father do? He will come and destroy the religious leaders and will give the vineyard to others. 
Who are the others? I think it's the church. I think it's us. He raised up the church to do what they should have done. Jesus said in verse 10, Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. See, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking about the important stone. The most important stones. Oh, there's a lot of stones, aren't there? (laughs) Trillions upon trillions of stones on the earth. But none compare to him. Because he is the chief cornerstone. So, what does the parable tell us about God? It tells us, number one, the generosity of God. Everything was prepared to make their work profitable. That the owner of the vineyard, he got everything ready. He planted the vineyard. He built the wall. He dug the wine press. He erected the tower. He did it all. All they had to do was go in there and cultivate the grapes and then harvest them and give the portion to the landowner and keep the rest for profit. But most of the work was done by God himself. Secondly, it tells of the trust of God. He went away on a journey and he trusted them to do the work. You see how important that is? That when God commissions people to do something, he doesn't look over their shoulder. He says, okay, I've called you to do this. I trust you. And now it's yours. Now go do it. And then if you don't get do it, look out, he's coming back. Oh yeah, Jesus told another parable about the guys with the talents. Remember that one? Two guys went out and reproduced what they had. One guy did nothing. All he had to do was go out there and invest it. He did nothing. He got kicked out. (laughs) They said, throw that guy out. He's no good. The third thing this story tells us, it tells of the patience of God. See, not once or even twice, he gave the workers many opportunities to pay their debt. He sent a prophet, then he sent another prophet. Then he sent a few more. Then he sent a few more. Then he sent his son. They had many opportunities to repent to rethink the situation. But no, instead, their evil hearts grew darker. Instead of looking to God and his mercy and patience, they allowed their hearts to become greedy and darker. And they killed them all, even the son. And then fourthly, it tells of the justice of God. That, you know, he did come back and he settled with them. So think about it. People may take advantage of God, but in the end, his justice will triumph. Oh, yes, it will. It's going to triumph. You know, God is not slow concerning his promise to return, but he's patient toward us, waiting for more people to get right. That's what he's doing. He could come down any day. Boom. And you know, I bet we've often prayed, all of us today that are listening, We've often prayed, God, Lord Jesus, come now. I know I prayed it, Lord Jesus, come now. But he's not going to come now because he's he's waiting for more people to get in the lifeboat. See, his heart is for the saving of souls right now, not the punishment of the wicked. 
So he lets the wicked continue to be wicked. So more souls can be saved. So more people can come to salvation. So the wicked will carry on. Oh yeah, wicked people in the world. They'll continue to be wicked. But God's looking at something, I believe, it's more important to him. The salvation of the souls of those that will, he, will, he will draw to himself. Okay. What does this parable tell us about Jesus? Hmm. Well, it tells us, number one, that Jesus did not regard himself as the other prophets, but as the Son, the beloved Son, Son of God. Here he, he stands out from all the other messengers. Then when they came to him and they said, Are you Elijah? Are you John? No. No, I'm not either one. I'm not a prophet. I am more than a prophet. See, Jesus knows who he is. Let me ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? Because you get a lot more going for you in Christ than you do outside of being in Christ. So he regarded himself not as a prophet, but as the beloved Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He did. He says, I am he. Are you the one we're waiting for? You're looking at him. I am he. That should have been boom. Okay, God is moving. We've been waiting. You know, it's like, here comes the roller coaster. You ever go to a park and you wait for like a half hour in line for the roller coaster? And then it finally shows up and everybody gets off. And what do you do? You hurry up and jump on, right? You don't say, oh, I'm going to keep waiting. <laughs> Who does that? Who waits for a half hour for the roller coaster? And then when it comes and everybody jumps off, they say, oh, I think I'll keep waiting. No, you jump on. You fight tooth and nail for the front seat. <laughs> right? Well, when they waited for thousands of years for the Messiah, and he came. And you know what a lot of people did? They said, oh, we're going to keep waiting. He's here. No, we're going to keep waiting. How foolish is that? That's as foolish as not getting on the roller coaster after waiting a half hour in line. So Jesus, he knew who he was. He also knew, secondly, that he came to die. Whew, what's that like? I mean, we all know we're going to die, but we don't know how, when, and where. But Jesus did. Matter of fact, in John 13, verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Oh, I like that. Jesus never stopped loving his people. He never stopped loving his disciples. He knew they would lose faith. They would lose heart. They would go back to fishing. They'd get discouraged, but he never stopped loving them. He didn't love them because of what they were. He loved them because of who he was. That's why. And he doesn't love us because of what we are. He loves us because of who he is. That's why. Thirdly, it tells us Jesus was sure of his ultimate triumph. It's true. He knows death will not keep him in the ground. Though he knew he'd be tortured and he'd be killed. 
he also knew it was not the end. Because he told his disciples, after three days, the Son of Man, going up, going to rise again. So what did Jesus call himself? The chief cornerstone, the most important stone. What does this parable tell us about people? That number one, people think God is too far away, that he's on a journey. Oh, God is gone. I can't reach him. He can't see what I'm doing. So you know what happens? They're not interested. They think God is out of sight, unreachable. A lot of people think that today. They think he can't be touched. Secondly, if someone refuses their privilege, it's passed on to someone else. So people that didn't live in the requirement that God gave them back in Israel, he raised up the church. God always has a plan. And God will raise up people to do what the first people that he called didn't do. So he's called us to do what others will not do. The ancients understood the principle of the cornerstone. They knew what that was. And you've seen it in buildings today. Psalm 118, verse 27, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I want you to try to picture an archway, an archway that's made out of square stones. Okay? And you've seen it. And it, it, the archway comes up from the left and the right, and it comes up in a semicircle, and right in the middle, there's one stone that meets both sides. That's called the cornerstone. And that's the stone that holds up the archway. Another sense of the cornerstone would be when stone walls were built and they came together at the corner. And the overlapping stones at the corner would hold the walls together. Like if you put your fingers together, right? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. Look at the people, right? You put your fingers together and where they interlock, that would be the cornerstones. They hold everything together. So the cornerstones were interlocking stones that connected the wall of a building or the archway. And then when a door was put into a wall, the arch was constructed to hold the wall up. So you could pass through the wall. And that cornerstone was vital to hold everything together. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the chief cornerstone. And the principle flowed right into the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. See, rejection didn't stop Jesus. No. Rejection's very hurtful, but it didn't stop Christ. And if you ever become rejected, I know it hurts. Don't let it stop you. You keep going forward. Paul said in Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So you see, the foundation is what? The prophets. They, they introduced Christ. 
Okay? God sent the prophets to bring the message. Jesus is coming. John said, hey, prepare the way of the Lord. Make your path straight. Jesus is coming. And Peter sees us Christians as being built together into a building. He said in 1 Peter 2.5, that you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up to God, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Wow. So let me ask you, do you have this stone? You might have a lot of stones. I got a little stone on my desk with a writing on it. I forget what it says. Sometimes we have these little stones, you know, with scriptures and things. There was a time people had pet rocks. Remember that? What a, only in America, right? Only in America can you sell a rock, give it a name, and people will buy it. Only in America. You probably got rocks in your socks. I don't know. There's stones all over the place, but there's one. There's only one that you can't live without. And there's only one that'll get you to heaven. Just one. It's the chief cornerstone. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have that stone? Let me say this. If you don't have that stone in your life, you're in trouble. Oh yeah? You are in deep trouble without this cornerstone. Why? The cornerstone holds the building together. The cornerstone holds the arch together. The cornerstone will hold you together. Next time we're together, Jesus speaks about, oh, you'll love this one, paying taxes and marriage in heaven. (laughs) There's a combination, right? Paying taxes and marriage in heaven. Next topic, right here on New Hope Radio. Get that cornerstone. Go to Jesus. Say, yes, Lord, I believe. I need a Savior, and I believe that you're that Savior. You're the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through you. You need to do that, and you'll be in deep trouble. And You don't want to die without the cornerstone. You want to live with the cornerstone. Let him take you to heaven. 